Psalm 86, verses 1 through 17. A prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. Nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Good morning. Morning again. Wake up. So this is uh, Cinco de Mayo, right? And so we're having burritos for lunch. I'm just saying that. So stay for lunch. Stay for lunch. It will be a great time of fellowship together. I don't think that was why. I think this group uh, is just a Mexican food kind of group. And so the the uh, small group that's providing our lunch today. So it's been three weeks since we looked at Psalm 86, uh, Prayer of David. And if you remember, David's prayer is prompted by trouble in his life. As we've read it here this morning, insolent, ruthless men uh, want him dead. And so he rightly turns to God for help. Now when I read this psalm during my sabbatical, and these sermons, uh, if you haven't been here the whole time, are coming out of things I experienced in my sabbatical, uh, in my time with the Lord. The first thing I noticed, the thing that caused me to stop uh, as I was reading the Psalms, I stopped here and I spent significant time reading and praying uh, this Psalm. And that the thing that I noticed was that even though, uh, as far as I know, uh, there's no one trying to kill me, David prayed for many of the same things that I do. His 3,000-year-old requests are relevant to our lives today. When you face danger or death, you can ask God to preserve your life. When you've done something deserving of punishment, uh, sin even, you can ask God to be gracious to you. 
You can plead for God's grace. When you've done something deserving of punishment, uh, when you've, and when there's difficulty or, or tragic news in your life, or when everyday life is just getting you down, and you find yourself uh, experiencing depression, you can ask God to gladden your soul. When you struggle to do the right thing, or you're not even sure what the, what the right thing is, you can ask God to teach you His ways that you might walk in His truth. When your heart is divided between the things of God and the, the things of the world, when you're torn between following your old nature uh, led by your flesh or your new nature led by the Spirit of God, you can pray, unite my heart. Give me an undivided, loyal heart that I might fear, I might revere you, Lord. When you feel weak and powerless, you can simply pray, pray, Lord, give me strength to get through this day. When your enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil are coming hard after you, you can pray, God, save me. When you feel discouraged, like nothing has gone right, uh, at least for a while. When you're unsure if God is even listening to your prayers, you can pray, Lord, show me a sign of your favor. God, give me something tangible so I, so I know I'm on the right path and that, and that you're there by my side. Have you prayed prayers like these? Prayers that David prayed? I, I know I have. And the question we've been asking uh, throughout this series in Psalm 86 is this. What gave David and what gives us the confidence to pray like this? What makes us think that God answers these or, or any of our requests? And the answer we've seen in Psalm 86, is that David not only requests things from God, he has a lot of things he's asking God to do in his life, but he also declares glorious, glorious truths about who God is. David's prayers, I believe, were so profound and personal and honest and relevant and real because he knew God. He knew who God was and what God could and would do in his life. He had beheld the glory of God. He'd seen and experienced God's presence, God's power, God's purpose, God's greatness in his life, and therefore he was bold and confident and consistent in drawing near to the Lord in prayer. And that's what I experienced in a new way during my sabbatical, and that's what I want us to experience. I want us to be a people who are bold and confident and consistent in drawing near to the Lord in prayer. I want in any situation... In any difficulty, I want our first instinct to be one of prayer. I want us to be people who depend on the Lord. And I want that dependence to be reflected by our continual prayer to Him. That's why in our mission, uh, our, our core values, dependence on prayer. It's really dependence on the Lord. And, and then that is expressed through prayer to Him. That's what I've experienced and that's what I want for you today and moving forward. And you might be thinking, well, pastor, you, who really cares what you want? But I want it because God wants it. God desires, God even commands that we, his children, his church, be a people of prayer. This is certainly reflected in the Psalms and other parts of scripture. The Bible gives us hundreds of examples of prayer, of men and women who go to God in prayer 
And these examples are there to teach us and to lead us into experiencing prayer ourselves. God, God's desire for us to pray is also seen in the example of Jesus' life. The Gospels record that he often went away to spend time, extended time in prayer with the Lord. And he also taught his disciples to pray. And finally, uh, the necessity of prayer is a theme we find again and again in Paul's letters to the churches, to the church in Ephesus. And I think uh, we're going to look at several scriptures. Just, just read them, churches, to the churches. But, but these are uh, verses, I think, to the church in Riverside, to the church here at Bridges as well. To the church in Ephesus, Paul wrote, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You think we're supposed to pray? To the church in Philippi, Paul wrote, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. To the church in Colossae, Paul wrote, Devote yourself to prayer being watchful and thankful. And to the church in Thessalonica, Paul simply wrote, pray continually. Pray continually. God's Word declares that God wants us to be people of prayer. God wants us to come to Him with our adoration, our our worship for Him, our confession of our sin, our thanksgiving for all He's given to us, and our supplication, our requests of Him. God wants us to trust and depend on Him. And for us to do that, we not only have to understand who God is, that's what we've been talking about uh, mainly in this series, but we need to also understand what our situation is. It's the same situation David found himself in, in Psalm 86.1. He begins his prayer by asking God to incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. I need you to hear me, Lord. I need your answers. Why? For I am poor and needy. Like David, we come to the Lord because we're poor and needy. Like, life is difficult. It's filled with tests. It's filled with trials. It's filled with temptations and tribulations. And we don't have the adequate resources to deal with everything that life throws at us. We are truly poor and needy. But God has what we need. We're not alone. We have a God who hears and who answers prayers But we have to first recognize our dependence on Him. We must in humility recognize that we're poor and needy. Say it with me. I'm poor and needy. The power of positive confession. No, that's not where I'm going. But just, just reflect on that. I mean, that would be a verse to meditate on. I am poor and needy. Just think about all of that, all that means for you. But then don't stay there. Move on to what God offers. So we say we're poor and needy, and then we must draw near to God. We must trust in Him and come to Him in our poverty uh, as He meets our needs. And so my purpose in looking at Psalm 86 has been and continues to be, uh, it's it's really, you know, I, I think of my gifts as a pastor, preacher, teacher, mainly lie in the area of teaching, of explaining the Scripture. And so this isn't my best 
thing, but my, my goal continues to be, uh, in this series, one of motivation above all else, to inspire us, to help us consistently and continuously draw near to the Lord in prayer, to experience God's presence and His power in our lives. And I believe, and, and it seems David believed, the way to do that is to behold the glory of the Lord. To see and to ponder and to gaze, to meditate upon His greatness. I believe the more we see and understand and believe the truth of God's glorious nature as revealed in His Word, the more we see Him for who He truly is and what He's promised and what He continues to do in our lives, the more we will come to Him in prayer. And so today we continue to behold the glory of God that David proclaims in Psalm 86. And by doing that, that, I pray we'll come to a greater and a deeper understanding and experience of God in our lives. So would you just pray that with me this morning? Father God, I pray that this morning as your word goes forth, I pray it go forth as your word, not as, not as my word, but as your word. Anything of me, just, uh, just take it out, Father, and, and proclaim your word this morning that we might see uh, who you are, that we might see your glorious attributes, and we might be inspired to draw near to you. In Christ's name, amen. Now, as we've studied Psalm 86, uh, we've already beheld a number of uh, glorious truths about God. Some pretty major things about who God is. Truths that should be, even now, uh, even throughout these past weeks, have been driving us to Him in prayer. We saw that God is our personal God. Therefore, we can come to Him. He offers us a personal relationship with Him. We saw that God is the one and only God. Uh, Don't go to anything else. Don't go to anyone else. Only go to God. He has the power to answer our prayers. We saw that He's our Father that we've been adopted. We've been talking about that, right? We've been adopted into His family, and therefore we can trust Him because we are His chosen children. We saw that He's good. Therefore, He always does what is good, what is best for His children. We saw that He's forgiving. Therefore, through His Son, Jesus Christ, even though we, we continue to sin, He provides for our forgiveness. And finally, our last message In this psalm, we saw that God is love. And that His love is not based on who we are. It's not based on what we do. It's based on who He is. It's based on His nature as a loving God. And because of that, we can have assurance that His love will never fail in our lives. That He will always feel and act in loving ways towards His children. And beholding all of these glorious truths about God should give us the confidence, the inspiration we need to draw near to Him in prayer. All that He offers us, all that He proclaims about who He is. But David continues to reveal even more. There are more glorious truths about God to behold. And today we're going to focus on just two of those truths. Both of which are found in the first half, just the first half of uh, of Romans Still back in Romans from the days gone by. In Psalm 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. If you're taking notes, you can fill in your blanks already. The answers are are right there. Just put those 
Transpose those from your Bible, from the screen, into your notes. God, first, God is merciful. Oh Lord, you are a God merciful. The word merciful is the Hebrew raham. It means full of compassion. Throughout the Old Testament, this word is, is used only of God with just, uh, maybe just one exception, the commentators say. One exception found in 1 Kings chapter 3. There we find a familiar story. It's a story of two women who come to King Solomon uh, fighting over a baby. They both lived in the, in the same house and they both gave birth to, to sons around at the same time. However, one of the sons died because the mother was sleeping with him and rolled over on him. And so while everyone is still sleeping, the mother of the dead son switched her baby with the mother of the living son. And when the mother of the living son awoke, at first she thought her son was dead, but then she realized it wasn't her son. So she then accused the other woman of pulling the old switcheroo, but the other woman denied it. So they went to the king, King Solomon, to settle their dispute. And as you probably know, this is when Solomon comes up with the divide the baby solution. Just cut the baby in half. He asked for a sword, and beginning in verse 25, we read, And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one, and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, Because her heart yearned for her said to her king, Because her heart yearned for her son, O Lord, give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is his mother. So in this uh, true story, we see how Solomon wisely determines who the child's mother really is. But we also have in this story an illustration of mercy. Why was the true mother willing to give up her son instead of uh, watching him die? Because her heart yearned for him. Her heart yearned for her son. That, that word heart is the Hebrew raham. Same word found in Psalm 86. Her heart was filled with compassion, with mercy for her son. God's mercy, his compassion for us, is like the compassion a true mother has for her children. Continuing the, the mother theme, I know next week is Mother's Day, but we'll see what happens next week. A mother once uh, approached Emperor Napoleon seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a certain offense twice, and therefore justice demanded his death. But I don't ask for justice, the mother explained. I plead for mercy. But your son does not deserve mercy, Napoleon replied. Sir, the woman cried, I would not, it would not be mercy if he deserved it, and mercy is all I ask for. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared the woman's son. As both of these stories, I think, illustrate the, the compassion, the desire for mercy that a true mother has for a child is deep and it's profound. And that desire for mercy is seen uh, especially when the child is in trouble, when the child is in need, when the child is poor and needy. And because God is merciful towards his children, what that means for us is that when we're in trouble, even when we've caused our own trouble, even if our trouble is 
flows from our sin, we can come to the Lord in prayer because He's full of compassion for His children. He does not give us what we deserve. Don't you love when people, when people say, I just want what I deserve? Really? Well, thanks be to God. He's merciful, and therefore we don't get what we deserve. Because all we deserve, according to God's word, for our sin and rebellion against him, is eternal wrath. The wrath of God. But instead of wrath, instead of punishment, we receive, as his children, his mercy. His compassion. David knew something of of God's mercy. In Psalm 51, verse 1 we read, A psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him, after he had gone into Bathsheba. This is the psalm of repentance. David wrote, after the prophet Nathan confronted him about his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband Uriah. For these crimes against a man and God, David deserved wrath, punishment, even death. But he prays, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Notice David doesn't ask for justice. He doesn't ask for God to give him what he deserves. That would be crazy. Instead, he appeals to the steadfast love of God, the love we talked about a number of weeks ago, and he asks for mercy, for compassion. He asks not to get what he deserves. He asks, in fact, for God to blot out, to wipe out, to erase his transgressions, to deal with him not based on his sin, but based on the love and mercy of God. And the only reason David could pray that, the only reason we can pray that, is because God is merciful. And every single one of us could and many have prayed the same prayer. Have mercy on us. We, like David, need the mercy of God. Every single one of us is a sinner in need of God's mercy. Deserving His wrath, but praying for mercy. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We continue to sin. We all fall short of His glory. We fail to live up to God's glorious standards. We fail to glorify Him as He deserves. And we rightly, we justly deserve nothing but His wrath. But God. But God, instead, because we are His children, because we've trusted in Jesus Christ, because we've been adopted into God's family, we know that like both women in the stories we read earlier, God's heart yearns for us. Do you understand that right now, even and especially if you're in trouble, even if the trouble is caused by your own sin, God's heart yearns for you. He's filled with compassion for you. And therefore, we would be crazy not to come to Him in prayer. It would be ridiculous for us to think that because we've sinned, that God has rejected us. In our trouble and our sin, we must run not away from God, but to God. Because it's when we come to Him in faith, in humility, in repentance, acknowledging that we, in fact, are poor and needy, it's then that we receive His great mercy. So first, God is merciful. And second, God is gracious. 86.15 again, O Lord, are you a God merciful O Lord, are 
But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. I have to read, though. I can't start in the middle of verses. And because of God's uh, graciousness, David could pray in this very psalm, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. David is pleading for grace. Have you ever pled for God's grace? I know there have been times in my life when things were not going the right way and I've been on my knees and I've pled for the grace of God. David also prays, turn to me and be gracious to me. This is the Hebrew word, hanam, which comes from the Hebrew hen, which means grace or favor. It's similar to mercy. It it includes the idea of having compassion, but it adds being uh, kind or generous to someone without cause, for no specific reason, nothing they've done, or compensation, not expecting or needing a payment. Giving grace means being kind and generous to give to someone, especially those in need, not based on anything they've done or expecting anything in return. Throughout the Old Testament, uh, this word hen is translated often uh, by the word favor. Favor. We sang uh, your favor, Lord. You could replace grace, your favor, your grace, Lord. The first example of this is found in Genesis chapter 6. Beginning in verse 5, we read this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Not a, not a, not a good situation. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he grieved him, in, he grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. Wow, this is not a good situation. It looks like the end of uh, life on earth, if you will. But in verse 8 we read, but, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Or as the King James puts it, but, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now Noah was certainly uh, uh, less wicked on a scale if if. We were graded on a scale than the rest of humanity. In fact, verse 9 says that he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Which doesn't mean he's perfect. It means just compared to his generation, Noah was doing pretty okay. Noah was the last man on earth that trusted in God. Imagine that. But he wasn't perfect. He wasn't sinless. Scripture makes sure we understand that by recording uh, the odd story, if you if you read through Genesis, uh, about how after the flood, Noah gets drunk and he passes out naked in his tent. Noah clearly had some issues. And if God would have destroyed him and his family, along with every other human being, he would have been just. Noah wasn't saved because of anything he did. He was saved because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God kindly and generously rescued Noah and his family, not because they deserved it, but because God is gracious. And the same thing is true for us. God kindly, compassionately saves us sinners by his amazing grace. Our salvation is certainly the greatest illustration of God's grace available to us. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, familiar verses, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not 
your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Grace is all about what God freely gives to us. Not because of who we are, not because of anything we've done, not because of our works, but in spite of who we are and what we've done. God uh, describes, God gives us His grace. Someone described grace this way. When a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's a, that's a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that's a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service of high achievements, that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that's a good picture of God's grace. You cannot work for it. You cannot earn it. You cannot win uh, the great prize of salvation. It's provided by God's grace, His kindness, and His generosity as a free gift to those who trust in Him. But we need to remember the whole picture here. Yes, salvation is a free gift of God's grace. And it's given to those who trust, who put their faith in Jesus Christ. When I was in uh, seminary, I did a thing called evangelism explosion. It's like a training and you go out and you learn how to share your faith and you go door to door. And one thing that continues to stick with me from that is, is how, what, how, we describe, how they describe grace. Their acrostic for grace. It goes like this. Uh, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. See that? God, each word, God's riches at Christ's expense. Because yes, God is gracious, but He's also just and holy. And therefore, for God to be gracious for us, for God to save us by grace, our sin had to be dealt with. We receive God's riches. We receive salvation. We receive uh, a great inheritance. We're adopted into His family. We become His children. But there is an expense. It's just that we don't have to pay it. Because Christ paid it. It's at Christ's expense. Our sin must be dealt with. And that's what Christ did on the cross. In Mark 10.45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. When Jesus died on the cross, He gave His life as a ransom. Humanity is born. We're born into captivity to sin and therefore subject to eternal condemnation. That's our condition at birth. But Jesus on the cross paid the price for our release from sin and condemnation so that we can, by God's grace, receive the free gift of salvation when we put our trust in Him, in Christ alone. It's all done by Christ. The basis of your salvation is not yourself or anything you do. It's by gr the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, now you say, okay, uh, Pastor Cliff, I've got that. I've heard that before. I've memorized Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you're saved. Uh, I've been saved by grace through faith. I know it's a done deal. But it's, but it's not a done deal. Yes, if you've trusted in Christ, then by grace through faith, your salvation is secure. 
The same grace that saved you, though, continues to work in your life right now. Your salvation is just the beginning of God's grace in your life. And that's so very important for us as we think about our prayer lives. Know that when you pray, when you draw near to God in prayer, you're drawing near to the one who is gracious. We say uh, often, uh, we, we might begin our prayer, Oh, gracious Heavenly Father. We're praying to the one who by grace saved you. And to the one who continues to offer you grace. Remember, grace, a kindness and generosity, undeserved kindness and generosity throughout your life. He saved you by grace. You didn't deserve salvation. And he continues to work in your life by grace. We can continue to go to God to receive his grace and his mercy. We can pray for things. Uh, what this means is we can pray for things we don't deserve. Thank God. Because what do we deserve? And I don't mean we can pray for material possessions we haven't earned. What I mean is that we can pray for things like David prayed for in Psalm 86. For perseverance and gladness and salvation and strength and grace. For kindness and generosity. We can pray to be people of kindness and generosity. We haven't earned any of these things, but we can because God is gracious. Pray for and receive them. The author of Hebrews wrote chapter 4, verse 16. If you want a a memory verse, something to meditate on this week, I give you this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. With confidence. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help when? In our time of need. In confidence. In our times of need. We can come to the Lord. We in prayer can come and kneel before the throne of grace. That's the picture. You got a throne. And you're kneeling before it in worship. And there. Before the throne of grace. We can receive mercy. We'll receive compassion. Not because we deserve it. But because God is merciful. And we will find grace. Uh, We will find help. Not because we've earned it, but because God is gracious. Now I want you to notice one final thing. I've mentioned it, I just want to highlight it. That applies to every single child of God. When did David call out for grace and mercy? And when do we uh, most need God's grace and mercy? You know, if we're praying for God have mercy... If we're praying for God, I want grace. There's something behind that. There's, a, there's something going on. Grace and mercy are needed in times of difficulty, in times of pain and sorrow and suffering. They're needed during temptations and trials and tribulations. And so what I've found, what many have found, and what I believe is one of the answers to this mysterious question we always ask, why does God allow suffering in this life? Is that when we receive the grace and mercy of the Lord, we're transformed. That's what the Apostle Peter writes. He says, and after you've suffered a little while, notice it's, it's a given. There's going to be suffering. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. 
When you face difficulty in, the, in this life, difficult circumstances, even suffering, and instead of uh, turning to worry and fear, which is such our inclination, you turn to God, you turn to the God of all grace, you kneel before His throne of grace, He will restore, He will confirm and strengthen and establish you. He will transform you. He will work in your life, conforming you into the glorious image of Jesus Christ. He, the God of grace and mercy, will make us a people of grace and mercy. Think about that. The God of grace and mercy will work in you as you come to Him, uh, pleading for grace and mercy. And one of the things that will happen is He'll make you into a person of grace and mercy, of kindness and compassion and generosity. Like, like a lump of coal that's transformed into a diamond when put under great heat and pressure. The suffering child of God is transformed into the image of Jesus Christ when they turn to God and receive His grace and mercy. So today, and, and, and every day really, in the midst of all the difficulties of this life, and, and they're, not, they're not far off, I would call upon you to go to God, to turn to God, to draw near to God in, in prayer, asking and receiving from Him grace and mercy. And so, so I close with the words of Charles Spurgeon. These words that my wife pointed out to me this week, she, she actually posted them on Facebook Spurgeon wrote, there is no greater mercy than I know of on all the earth than good health, except it be sickness. And that, af- and, and that has often been a greater mercy to me than health. It is a good thing to be without trouble, but it is a better thing to have trouble and know how to get grace even to bear it. And I would add, and to be transformed by it. It's a better thing to have trouble and know that you have a heavenly father, a gracious heavenly father, a merciful, compassionate, kind heavenly father that you can turn to, that will strengthen you and transform you as you come to him. Imagine a life, a trouble-free life. Maybe that's what you want. Maybe that's what you thought was best. You've always thought, if only this wasn't there, if only that wasn't there. You know what? I believe we're so weak that if our life was trouble-free, we would spend little to no time in the presence of God. Those that I think have been transformed most by God are the ones that have suffered most because they know what it means to, to go before Him on a daily basis and plead for His grace and mercy and strength and perseverance and love in your life. It's a better thing to have trouble And know how to get grace, even to bear it and be transformed by it. Amen? Would you pray with me as Tom comes to to lead us in communion? Father God, I pray. I pray that we would be uh, people who know who we are. We would know that that we're your children, yes, but we're poor and needy. And we need to continually come to you. That you're our Father. That you love us. And that you offer us uh, on a daily basis, grace and mercy, kindness and generosity and compassion, Father. I pray that as we uh, contemplate that this week, Lord, it would draw us into your presence. 
Lord, and as we come into your presence and, and we plead for your grace and mercy in our lives, Lord, you would work in our hearts and you would transform us into a people who, who give grace and mercy to those in our world. Lord, uh, transform us, change us by your grace and mercy that we might go into our worlds representing you, the God of grace and mercy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. That's a good word.